The year is 1987. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club, where we're going through the best and most important issues of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book journeyman, and I'm joined today by Dave Busing, founder and CEO of Comic Book Herald. And Dave, back when I was mm-hmm. a, a fledgling a comic book newbie, uh, in a podcast newbie, Dave was like, Man, you gotta shape up, you gotta, you gotta get in this podcast game. He hired Taskmaster. Well, first, he, he made sure that Taskmaster listened to a thousand hours of Joe Rogan. And then, you know, it brought him in to trade me. And that's... Is Joe Rogan even a podcast? You love referencing him. I, I, I mean, thought that was like a YouTube show. Is it both? Is it just both? <laughs> he is literally the biggest podcast on earth. I That... You... <laughs> I, that is no joke. He, I think he just he just got a $50 million Spotify deal for his podcast. Yeah. And the fact that you don't yeah. know that is incredible. No, I don't like Joe the, the Joe. You, you reference Joe Rogan more than I reference Jonathan Hickman. So I'm convinced I think, you're his biggest fan, ugh, which is fine. No, you can be a fan of things. No, like I'm not. It's I, fine. I, it, you can like... You can like testicle juice and what it does for your for your what strength. What is testicle juice? Is that like one of his supplements? I just imagine that's something he advertises. <laughs> yeah, ne- neurotropics for your balls. Um, it's uh, no, it's it's just like I think that's my go-to for like podcaster. This Joe Rogan, right? I guess I could I should switch that to. Uh, well, we like gotta radio you gotta lab. get off radio this Joe Rogan fix because we're still trying to catch up to whatever the barstool podcast was that you referenced a while ago. Come to that Daddy was our or. Daddy likey or it something like that. Call me daddy, that. right? Because oh, it, because because yeah. like that was our alternate. That is our subtitle. You know how like Slaughterhouse Five is Slaughterhouse Five. You know, subtitle the Children's Crusade or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we are my marvelous year. Call us big daddies. You I, know, we, not a lot of people know. We are uh, about to catch up to them in iTunes. I think we're about to surpass them into iTunes ratings. Let me just check here. They have one hundred and twenty-eight thousand, and we ratings and reviews. Yep, on iTunes, and we uh-huh. have. Ooh, ninety-two. So yeah, we're we're gonna ca- we're gonna catch up. We're closing the gap, yeah. and if you want to help us close that gap faster, uh, we would love it <laughs> if you could go on over to iTunes and consider rating and reviewing my marvelous year. If you like the show in the the reading club we do here, uh, a positive review there goes a super long way. I would say first and foremost to boosting our egos. You know, mm-hmm. before we get to any actual yeah. tangible, tan- like um, tangible benefits, definitely just makes us feel better. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is nice, which is great. So yeah. if you've enjoyed the show, that's a small thing you can do. And you know what? It's kind of a pain. It's kind of a hassle. It is. Apple that. Podcast is So a pain. if you do it, we will read some of our favorites on this show, which is a thing we never actually do, but I swear we'll start doing it. Oh, we it. just got a good one. Um, let me, let me, I'll at least reference let's, the... Let's do it. Well, we had one in September, I think, uh, mm-hmm. one good review, which is, you know, kind of pitiful, right? I bet, the, I bet the Big Daddy's got more than one review in September. Yeah. Uh, actually, we didn't get any in September. Um. <laughs> hard to hard to give Joe Rogan a v- review because he's just on YouTube though. Yeah, you know, like comments can be like a, a form of review, but it's it doesn't quite function. I'll I'll explain YouTube versus podcast to you sometimes, Zach, if you need me to. We probably don't need to do that here. Oh, I'm on the Canadian. On the I'm on the Canadian one again. I keep ending up on 
Canada's yeah, I, I learned today that Zach's a big. Um, he's well, first he's a hacker. He's yeah. a big hacker, yep. and uh, he's got private VPNs, right? So you know if somebody has like VPNs that they use and they throw that around like casually, that they must be like a super cool internet hacker. Um, so that was not something I knew about you. That like right now. I know where Zach's actually located, but he's telling the internet he's in like the desert mm-hmm. somewhere. That's very true. Pretty, pretty wild. I don't know what he's hiding. I mean, I know some of the things he's hiding, but I don't know all of what he's hiding. And uh, I don't know. I'm like, it, it actually makes you kind of cool. I got to admit, like a little sense of danger, a little <laughs> sense of intrigue. Only costs um, fifty dollars a year for this VPN, baby, exclusive, exclusive club. Cheap. Um, and that—that's the thing too—is like a good hacker. This, huh? You know, they're working with cheap equipment. Right, like they know how to get it without paying too much. Whereas somebody like myself would be like, "Oh, I probably need like a five hundred dollar VPN hacker router," you know. And like scene. That's that's oh, what I, that's I, what I, was I, I have a lot. That's more what improv thoughts. people do when they're like, "Ah, this this bit's over. Let's let's." This <laughs> bit is bad and done. Uh, You're uh, done Ash specifically. Ash Pritch and Dowabo both wrote us excellent reviews on iTunes, and thank you very much. I really appreciate the kind words. A uh, couple. Well, give me give me a highlight. Oh my god, I just closed it. No, it's not happening. Why would you close it before reading? Because they they wrote a lot of stuff. Um, all right. Ash Pritch wrote, "I've been putting off reading comics in the past. I love the end." MCU and the Netflix series, but I've been put off reading comics because the community is very gatekeepy. This has made it so much easier to understand the timeline, important events. It's also just a nice listen. Legitimate criticism, conversations about representation and other subjects, but there's also a lot of humor. Well, not this episode. This has saved my brain during quarantine. He didn't say attempted humor, which was nice. That, that was very generous <laughs> yeah. of him. All right, uh, so This is awesome. Got- Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, See, that's what we're talking you. about. If you can go and write um, with the same fervor and passion that we just heard there about why you love the show. Uh, or or if you just want to say, like, hey, I think it could be better in this way. That'd be fine, but too. But still five you know stars. It, like, it, listen, we're, but it's going to make us cry. Stars. No, no, you can criticize. Gonna make us but cry. five stars on the way. Um, two, five two stars things. on the way, baby. So Nin- we're here to talk 1987 oh Marvel Comics. Yes. This is part three. And this is our first non-guest episode of the year. Yep. Finally, right? Yeah. Heard of those guests. I love minute. them. Just have the, the no, two daddies. They were great, yeah. Um, 1987, no. year of my birth, which is why I think that's... We're finally in the year of your birth. Yeah. We made it. Yeah, which is why I think these... You read uh, these comics live. These comics are so good. It's because uh, there's just a little something special in the air. Mm. Just a little something extra yep. in the world in 87. Yep. Uh, we are not yet to the year of my birth, so all of these comics, I can still say, are well before my time, <laughs> old man. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk today about a, the final... Walt Simonson Thor comics that we'll ever talk about. Oh. We're going to talk about Fantastic Four <laughs> vs. X-Men. Okay, can I just say, I had it, I like had it in my mind that I was going to say later, hey, well, maybe things are turning around for Simonson. I think I'm going to start reading more of this. <laughs> <laughs> he's really on the up and up. I had no idea that this was the end because I was like... I mean, he's not the the man is still working. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, there are more comics he's doing, to come. He's here doing indie stuff in the right Marvel now, universe, but, but the love, Thor run specifically yeah. is coming to a close. Oh, well, I did not know that. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. Oh, you were going to say Fantastic Four and Captain America. Also, before we get into that, I just have uh-huh. an unrelated story, and I have to put it somewhere, and uh, and it's only okay, vaguely good. comics related. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have filibustered so much yeah, in the intro. I know. Here. Well, <laughs> I well, I was trying to get you through whatever hacker nonsense you were talking about. I, that I, was people are going to be talking in the Slack and the My Marvelous Year exclusive Slack, which you can get if you go to Patreon.com/slash My Marvelous Year. Mm-hmm. They're going to be talking about that hacker bit for years. <laughs> like it's going to keep coming up. I don't even you know? remember. You know how they like to reference all my favorite jokes? 
like it. Like there's kind of just that community. Now you're just doing it again, but with a joke about the joke. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Um, please, your story. So I went to the grocery store right before we started recording, and I'm wearing my my Savage She-Hulk t-shirt. It's got She-Hulk posing and uh, Uh just the word Savage on it. And, uh, and it's nice and pink, right? It's very pink, yep. Which contrasts yeah. nicely with She-Hulk's green skin and her black leotard. Um, and the woman behind the deli counter, a- as I approached, she was telling her co-workers the plot of Tenet. <laughs> which, <laughs> which is very funny. I could just hear like, and then the rope ties them together, but they're moving in separate timelines. One's going forward in time, <laughs> one's going reverse. And it was clear to me that the two people working had not seen the movie <laughs> So, like, yeah, I've already yeah. heard Tenet is an impenetrable plot and, like, tough to work out while you're watching the movie, so I can't imagine how <laughs> amazing it is to just hear the plot. I would love to have it described yep. to me by a, a grocery store clerk instead. And then she came over to, to help me, and, uh, I, you know, I put in my order, and then she was like, oh, I love your shirt. And I was like, oh, thank thank you so much. And she's like, yeah, yeah, cool. What's it say? Savage? Cool. And then, like, right before she turned her back to me, she said, She-Ra. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know what fair fair mix up it could say savage and it could be she-ra and i and like be i couldn't help shirt. myself i was like oh it's it's she-hulk and she was like she kind of looked at me she didn't say anything uh-huh. and then she said my son and i have been watching xena warrior princess lately and i just like <laughs> was stunned like someone had just like taken a one of those cattle guns to my forehead i had no idea what to respond to that, that back and forth you needed. You obviously just needed to come back with another strong female presence in nerd. Yeah, culture. I guess that was, that was like you, the, you the were running one. down a checklist and you were running out fast. Uh, yeah, I should have just responded. Uh, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. <laughs> uh, oh, anyway, man. I had to get that story out somewhere. Very good. All Very right. Good. You wanna... So that sets the scene for today. Sadly, no She-Hulk just yet. Ugh, I'm Although so we excited. will be getting there, and yeah. boy, is it going to be interesting. But uh, yeah, let's start things off with Thor. We read issue 376 and then 379 to 382. This is, again, the Walt Simonson era of Thor. The first issue here is 376. It's called The Good Guys Always Win, Don't They? Heroes or, Always Win, Don't They? Paraphrasing. Yeah. Her- heroes Always Win. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And uh, it is a story of Thor who has been um, uh, cursed here by Mm -hmm. Hela. She gets her revenge on him to make it so that he can never die. He can never actually enjoy a warrior's death, so he can get beat to heck, and here he gets ribs smashed and all sorts of things by the absorbing man who he's fighting throughout the issue, but he can never actually die. Um, And then there also is the interesting like beginning of this story where thor is accidentally murdering people (laughs) and (laughs) uh, it kind of deals with that so again this is written by simonson it's got pencils and inks by sal buscema here uh, in colors by george russos i remembered this issue being more special (laughs) for some (laughs) reason uh it's not that special it's It's kind of i i gotta say i don't know why it's here um it, we could have just done 379 yeah. and 382. It's it's fine as a piece of the Simonson Thor run, I mean, which I, I think is quite I love, good. Right? Um, I love the Absorbing Man. He's one of those weird little like B-tier villains that like yeah. I'm always down to see. And you know what? I, I kind of Something unlocked for me a little bit here with uh, Simonson's run, which is that I think I'm pretty into some of his like small-scale stuff sometimes. I think I just get bored by his like big overarching plots uh, more often, which is a problem because he deals in like big epic stuff 
Um, so by by small scale stuff, do you mean like the the little character scenes in the world building? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like th- those the are Warriors okay. Three I, and then Sif and all this, like, because he does a really good job just bouncing around. Like, hey, what's Loki up to? What's Balder up to? Sometimes like, I still think he needs. Well. I, st- I still think there's a decent amount of editing and chopping out like superfluous stuff in this that could happen. Like, I, I think that's. He just, yeah, I, I think. I think if you took that stuff out, though, I, I don't think this run would be anywhere near as beloved. If you took no, out well, well, the like, part the, where he builds Asgard into its own place. No, not all the little, like, um, Warriors 3 asides and Loki and stuff. I'm saying the, like, the the people, the cameramen who are all watching this uh, unplay, like, play out and, like, get a fair amount of screen time. Like, there, there's just... I think it just has a little. As they announce, like their ringside uh, boxers. Yeah, like, right, right. I think like there's just a little fat Thor that needs to be trimmed Man. on this, it, and that includes like the the dialogue is still a little wordy. Although, like, I think the dialogue. Was I mean, you could say that about again. You could say that about f- everything we've like read. Seventy percent <laughs> of Marvel comics at this point, I would have that same critique for. So seventy is generous. Yeah, it's, it's more. yeah, but I like I like three seventy six. Like I thought this was again. Like I think. At worst, Simonson's Thor is fine. So, like, and I, I thought this was better than that. I, I like this. But then, let me. Wow. I'm, I'm burying the lead here because 379? Ooh. Oh, baby. Pretty good. 379 and 382 is the good stuff. 379, it pretty is good. The good stuff. 380? Oh, baby. Oh, baby. This is excellent. 380 is my favorite issue of the entire era. It's great. I mean, no questions it's, asked. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is this is the best, like, Simonson Thor you read. This might be the best Thor. Right, so let's get into it. 379 is called uh, There Were Giants in Those Days, or A Discourse Between Heroes and Villains. And the cover has this, Love the like, titles. silly... I, I'm a sucker for these titles. Yeah, they're pretty funny. I, it has a really silly drawing of Fing Fang Foom. Um, Give me that Fing Fang Foom. Which is like, he's a he's a golden age monster, back from playing... And he's pretty golden here, literally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. orange and gold. I mean, he's very Which, very which is mostly, silly. it seems, yeah. to, uh, to distinguish him from the Midgard Serpent, who is the green that I typically associate with my boy FFF. Mm-hmm. Right, because it turns out Fing Fang Foom is actually the the Midgar Serpent. Um, now, I didn't I didn't actually analyze. I'm going to look through this while you're talking about it. Yeah. Was he wearing underpants? Yes, he is. He has little shorts on the whole time. Yeah, which, he does. Which is really funny. They're, He's got they're boxer the ex- shorts on, baby. I was going to point that out. I don't know why. They're the exact same tone as his skin. And it's like, what? what's in Should have been purple. What is stop. Well, yeah, but what's in there, Dave? What's in there? Yeah, what are in those shorts? That you need a, a quick uh, lesson, a discourse on dragon anatomy. Mm. Uh, you know what? If you need to know what's in there, just Google "dragon man's little man" and uh, come back <laughs> do, to us at the end of the episode. The, to tell us what you find. A whole subreddit. I'm gonna bleep this, but it's there's a whole subreddit called "dragons f-ing cars." <laughs> do you know this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never heard that. And it's it's there's a surprisingly large amount of people who have drawn artwork of just you know a dragon really going out <laughs> like a car, <laughs> open windows. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So I guess I do know what's under those shorts. Anyway, so Fing Fang Foom, it's a stupid setup. I think the setup was like, I, I was rolling my eyes at this initially, which was like a bunch of giants are on Earth to annoy Thor, and then they, I can't remember, they pull up Fing Fang Foom out of the ocean, and the, the goading that they do is just like, yeah, Thor, he he says he's tough, and Fing Fang Foom is like, well, well, I don't like tough guys. I'll go see about this tough guy myself, and it feels. Mm-hmm. very like silver age i mean literally it feels like the dumb silver age plots where you just need something to get two characters together sure yeah but then it turns great because fing fang foom finds thor in the park 
walks up to him from behind and starts challenging him. And then Thor turns around and he has a beard on and maybe just his new armor. And Fing Fang Foom immediately is like, oh, oh, sorry. I thought you were someone else. And Thor's like, haha, no worries. Like, it, it's easy enough to do to mix up two people. Like, I get that all the time. <laughs> and they have this very funny, like, congenial conversation. Yeah. Um, where Thor is playing along that he's not who he says he is. Uh, and, you know, they have this, like, I don't know, Fing Fang Foom is just funny and being like, well... I guess I'm going to wreak some havoc. Sorry to, to have bothered you. And Thor's like, well, no, you know, let's have honorable battle. And, you know, they, they kind of just go back and forth on it till they, Thor proves himself worthy of them going to have a fight in a field. It's really funny. Like, this, this whole scene really took me by surprise. And I really Well, and there's this. definitely, there is that sense of, of charm and kind of, what's the word? Just all ages fun. Yeah. Sure. To this run. Oh you know, yeah. Like, I mean, like, like it, it starts there, like... right? There's kind of the goofy nods to like, you know, it's, it's Thor in his civilian identity walking past Clark Kent. Yeah. Right. Like it's Simon having fun yeah. Yeah. in a very, a very sort of goofy, but, but simple and in just enjoyable way. And sometimes like, like the situation you're describing here, it hits harder. Um, but then the best thing <laughs> about it is by the end when Thor does prove himself, uh, the world serpent, Jormagand, Jorm, Jormungand, even, pops up out of Fin Fang Foom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, it's time. I am the world serpent. I am the symbol of Ragnarok. Let's go. Oh, Let's so battle. Good. And then that yeah. drives us to 380, which is literally an all-splash page uh, throwdown drawn by Simonson's back on pencils here, still mm-hmm. Sal Buscema on inks. And uh, can I just mention, too, so if you're reading on Marvel Unlimited... You go from 379 being in the original coloring to 380 being digitized, and it's so weird how split up Marvel Unlimited is yeah, right it's now. Yeah, so like it's disorienting. Yeah, I loved it though. I was I'm so into the new coloring. Um, no, but even if you like it, it's just like have yeah. some consistency. Yeah, I know. We I, know we I know agree. both versions exist. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> you know definitely odd. A perfect example of what I'm talking about. I love all that Fing Fame Foom stuff. But then it keeps coming back to Asgard, and there's, like, a bunch of human kids, or human kids, Earth kids there, and it's just, like, that's the kind of stuff where I'm just, like, someone needed to tell Walt Simonson that no one cares about this, and that, like, this C-plot just needs to be trimmed. Like, there's just a little too much of that stuff, and Crush, is that his name? I don't, know what, I don't remember. Some dark elf in a costume. I don't know. There, there's just, like, there's always a little bit of stuff that I don't care about in the background. Um, but what was happening in the foreground was good enough here that I could kind of push that aside. You're talking about the Fin Fang Foom issue still? Because that's not in 380. No, so 380 is like a perfect issue because it it's totally on focus on this uh, totally this focused, fight. Yeah. Ooh, oh baby, it's good. Um, amazing cover, great artwork. I mean, there's nothing to say. You have to read it. You know, <laughs> like you can't. We can't really describe. I mean, this what's so this good is, I think, unquestionably Simonson's best artwork. Yeah, it's great that we've seen. Yeah. Like this is him fully at his best, getting to do just pure action on this. Like not. Again, we read, we had a patron uh, actually recommend to us to read that issue of Marvel Fanfare that John Byrne did is all splashes. And you, both you and I were like, yeah, this is kind of a dud yeah. because well, Byrne just doesn't really give us a sense of scope and scale in this like yeah. Hulk-focused issue. Simonson nails it. Oh, he nails incredible. what should be on yeah. the panels. He's doing <clears throat> the coolest things with the World Serpent. And you just feel the action and the blows throughout it. Shouts, obviously, to John Workman, the letterer. For like mm-hmm. again, all the sound effects yep. are throughout this whole run. I mean, best sound effects in Marvel history to date <laughs> that we've seen. Yeah, with any consistency. I mean, he he has single actions that play out over four pages, 
right? Like the Midgar serpent yeah. swooping in for a bite of Thor and like clamping his teeth down and he misses and his teeth shatter. That's like that's over four pages that that happens. It's it's so it's so cool. Yeah, I mean, but it doesn't feel you know because I think something like that could feel like hey, we I just flipped through four pages in uh, a minute and it was like one scene. Like why wasn't that four panels? It doesn't have that problem because there's enough dialogue, there's enough like narrative to this that it doesn't it doesn't feel too fast oh you know i mean because that's one of the biggest dangers of doing every page is one panel is you could just be like flip 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 done if you're doing that you're you're moving through this comic way too fast (laughs) like you're not allowing yourself to take it in and i'm also fine with the kind of like uh the occasional you know it's not that quick to read because they're doing something experimental they just did that with the what that emma frost jean gray issue i mean by just i mean like six months ago but that was like an almost silent. <laughs> that's a weird reference. So, well, I don't know. It's the last one I read, but that that was like a silent. Well, that's. Comic. I mean, that's an all. That's a almost silent issue. Yeah. This is not that by any measure. Um, but I. But definitely, comics in this era that are say, "Hey, we're gonna go at a quicker pace," yeah. are super appealing. Yeah. Because <laughs> the comics we hit that aren't excellent, that are otherwise just kind of in the era of too much dialogue mm-hmm. and too much. Uh, you know, what are these characters thinking? Let's spell it out. Um, those take too long, yeah. <laughs> and you have to be really good to justify that. Yeah. You know, which is I why mean, I like even this, I think I skimmed. There's like a Walt Simonson fills in a lot of this with just like an epic poem happening in the background, and I would be lying if I said I didn't skim that. <laughs> you are the laziest reader. You couldn't read one epic poem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. It's it's not that good. I, I read it for like two pages, and I was just like, well, this is not. This is well. You know what? Too though, like. Me. So I actually now I would say if so Tom King does this mm-hmm. in uh, Heroes in Crisis specifically on the DC side, and I will not spoil anything other than to say he has extended sequences where he just has like poetry overlaid, and it is the laziest, most overwrought, bad approach to storytelling. Mm-hmm. I hate it in that series specifically. It's wild. There how- may be an instance one day where I'm like, yeah, this is fine again, but I don't see it coming <clears throat> anytime soon. When Simonson does it in Thor, though, I feel like he's earned it. We're 50 years, or 50 issues, excuse me, into this years-long run. Yeah. Yeah, you can do an epic poem over incredible artwork. You've earned it. just You've doesn't mean I'm going to read it. <laughs> it doesn't, it does not change Tom, your, Tom your King, desire man, like, to actually experience the very few comics you have to read in order to talk about them on a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom, Tom King We're has such like for you. high highs and low lows. It's, it's so interesting. That guy, guy's career. Uh, just, it's not that interesting. Oh, really? <laughs> Is it, I don't know. I mean, just, just for someone who. It's a pretty deliberate arc. I'm not going to do the Tom King thing here. Um, no, we'll I just, talk about I mean, him in 2016 when yeah. we get to vision, he had, a huge meteoric rise yeah. and a slow, steady fall. Yeah. It's not, like, oscillating between things. Oh, okay. I thought people liked his, like, Batman stuff and then Heroes in Crisis. His was Batman his, like... is very divisive. Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought I thought it was just Heroes in Crisis was the, like, whoa, what happened moment. The, that's the, <laughs> the worst it what happened in that, in that moment. <laughs> what had happened was is my favorite new podcast hosted by Open Mike Eagle as he has conversations with Prince Paul. DJ Prince Paul about his experiences in the music hip hop industry. Super great interview podcast. I highly recommend. What are you talking about? Where did that come from? You said what happened, and I transitioned into a recommendation for a podcast. Is the podcast called What Happened? It called What Had Happened was. Oh, oh, okay. But you got to listen to the words, man. Well, I don't. I do, I listen to the words as much as I read Simon's. I can poems. tell. 
<laughs> I can tell. Uh, so from from this epic battle, Thor is like his armor falls to the ground, and there's no Thor inside it. Well, right? there, there's no Thor, is. but then they're also just like, yeah, he's he's jelly in there. Thor's in there, but he's gelatin now because the, they they could have gone for more jelly Thor. Yeah, he loved. Really I mean, they talk that. about it a lot. The, the whole idea of like he's cursed to have brittle bones, but also he's still immortal. So it's just like you can really mash him up, and he's just stuck as a jellyman. There. But then why would his face just be like a black hole? Because it would be... Yeah, I know, exactly. So it's confusing because right? you kind of think they're doing a fake out where Thor's not really in the armor. Unless he's unless he's mashed into the middle of the armor like Flubber. I mean, I think they're the literally Robert saying he's like liquefied in there, but still alive, which is... I, I don't know. It, it feels like... Somebody should have like picked up his boots and sloshed him around and been like, oh, there's Thor. Yeah, poured out like just, a puddle Just a of... liquid in his boot. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that, that, that whole thing like... It's a. It feel like a, it's a cool idea that he couldn't follow through totally on because of the comics code. Because you can't literally liquefy your heroes into to pulp. Um, but yeah, the, the I don't know. The, the next few issues don't have as much to recommend them for me. But like, I, well, I still bring in the destroyer. Yeah, which is obviously a classic Thor thing. Yeah. A good a good way to go out. I would say yeah. if you're Simonson, and like, I like do a little destroyer arc. I like the way this played out with like the the Loki brings the destroyer to just like. Stand as sentinel over Thor's body and continually liquefy it. Instead, Thor's spirit possesses the destroyer, which does lead to a very cool end of the page or end of the comic where, like, the destroyer takes Thor's cloak, I think helmet and hammer, and you get, like, destroyer yeah. Thor. Did I say Hulk? I feel like I said Hulk. Uh, I heard cloak, and the destroyer Thor combo is super cool, yeah. as is the cover to 381, which is drawn by Simonson. That the destroyer armor with Thor's cloak yep. and swinging that swinging Mjolnir yep. is that that hits me every time. Yep. Love that. It's pretty cool. And I I like this when he goes into uh to hell to um to confront Hela to You like, said it with two L's there. He, he's in hell with one L actually. Oh sorry. When he goes to hell to confront Hela better. And um yeah, th- this all works. Like he's, you know, I don't have to get into the specifics, but he's playing like all these this kind of uh game with Hela about like the destroyers more powerful than powerful than her and then he wants to get his body restored whatever it, it all works this, this all i think like works pretty solid. well the, the stakes are like really clearly set they're very personal i think that's something that like sometimes is missing from these that like asgard is in trouble and i have a harder time connecting to that and he has a harder time selling that like giants are invading asgard and i don't feel that that's the same thing with surter like i was bored with that because I, I don't know there's something like too big about those stakes and they're not it's tough to sell those and that's that's not just Simonson. that's anyone trying to sell mm. like the earth is in trouble like it's very tough to to make that feel like a, a real imperiled situation so weird weird take my man i don't think so that that's like a common complaint that, about like so superhero movies standard. is like <laughs> well it is and it's always it's never that particularly interesting no i think that's totally i, I know common. what you mean yeah. i mean the closer kind of um you know spider-man versus green goblin style stakes yeah i think right, there's a reason it's, those it's are more the, intimate the, the issues that but like galactus stuff. showing up in fantastic four hits and that's a earth level threat yeah well i think galactus right, you kind of like, have to have those i think and galactus has thor, like you sold have to be willing to better in our minds like galactus is more of like an existential threat than like parademons are here there's thousands of them you know and it's like it's it's harder to, to feel that I, yeah but you don't I guess you kind of don't have to feel it so much as it's like a giant action thing and it's meant to be cool and elicit some well, yeah, but 
visceral response. You can watch as Transformers to, 4. Man, I, and it, I like, also am worried about Parademon showing up. I'm not meant to connect with it. On I guess level, if I like <laughs> if you view all art as incredibly literally of just like, I you know, I don't know. I'm watching the, the fourth Transformers movie and the Earth is in trouble and I feel it deeply like because I, I can visualize every... I, I live here what <laughs> right exactly <laughs> right. this is my home too yeah yeah i don't know like it's not awful i just like that that's not the stuff that connects with me so like the the personal stakes of like thor here it felt like a real situation he had to get out of and i was curious to see how he did it and like it's it concluded satisfyingly to me so this is definitely yeah, like definitely thor the... in the destroyer armor battling through hell is is very cool yeah. i think it, it delivers on what Simonson is able to deliver a lot of, which is just like good as guardian action, mm-hmm. I think. Um, you know, and to your to your broader kind of commentary throughout this run, obviously I'm more into this than you are. It definitely does not hit as hard as it. Like the first time I read it, I was deeply immersed. Yeah. And, you, and the other thing too with this, and we talk about this with everything, is like you have to read all of it. You know, we're cutting through the curated selections through Thor. Um, sure. If you're if you actually want to be into it, you cannot jump around like this. Like you're just no, doing you it can. Service, frankly. Fine. No, you can't. Like you're. That's yeah. the thing is you're wrong. Um, to do it that way, it's it's fine if you're not that into it, and it's a fine way just yeah. to get a feel for like what is this run. Yeah, I, I but if you actually want to experience the whole thing, like it's it's super long and it's long and tight for a reason. So it, it, you're doing it a disservice if you don't read most of it. Um, so if you came away, I think, you know, thinking, uh, I don't see it. I, I think part of that is the nature of the reading club. I, I see parts um, of it. I mean, the, the beginning and the end of this, I think are the high points for me. Like the Beta Ray Bill stuff. Very good. I was still very into it at that point. This stuff at the end, this kind of got me back into it. And I was, I was pretty jazzed by this. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think that's crazy. Like the beginning yeah. is strong. The end is strong. And I think the middle with searchers, you know, Ragnarok and roll would be the other part that most people, yeah. um, can remember as well i guess the frog thor arc too but anyway uh overall it did not hit for me nearly as hard i don't think it's like but it th- having said that having said that it's the best thor for 20 years <laughs> on one side yeah. and at, at a minimum 20 years on the other side so if you're a thor fan in general and interested in asgard like if this run doesn't hit for you, I don't know that you're gonna find whatever you think you're looking for from Thor. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's a bummer to me. Yeah, I like Thor. I loved Kirby. I, you know, it's tough because it's like I, it is. I don't know what I'd want to read more if I like only had a choice: Simonson's or Kirby's Thor. Because I really, I really like Jack Kirby and Stanley's Thor. But you know, it's still Silver Age, right? And like Simonson's stuff is more creative and it's a little more modern. So like that, that would be tough for me. Um, I liked I liked Kirby's Thor more like in its day, you know, compared yeah. to the rest of the world than I like this compared to everything else we're reading. But I still might want to read this more, like you know, if I if I had to choose, but but I would definitely want to read. I think it's definitely going to connect with more people yeah, today. Although it, again, it's not like it's not like a younger reader in 2020 isn't going to pick this up and think it feels dated. You know, yeah. it did come out in the mid 80s. Um, like you said, literally the year of your birth. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's move on then. Uh, thank you, Walt Simonson. Yeah, for thanks, Simonson. Good going, Thor going out strong. And for some less it is, it is, impressive conversations is, <laughs> about the run. It is, Yeah, it is so funny, though. Just like I literally was like, all right, 
hey, maybe I'm, like, vibing with Simonson again. Here we go. Like, can't wait to see what's next for the guy. And then, like... Well, the, the next issue is a secret original Secret Wars flashback. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I think written by Tom DeFalco. So we are we are. I saw that. It was, like, here. untold tales of Secret Wars. Like, what the Enchantress yeah. was up to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I think I've read it, but I couldn't tell you what happens. Um, All right. So next up, we have Fantastic Four vs. X-Men. This is a four-issue miniseries. And uh, there's a whole bunch during this era of uh, versus series starting at Marvel. So they start really digging into the popularity of the X-Men and uh, and even the Fantastic Four a little bit and kind of just bouncing around like, hey, what if we mashed up all of these different characters in these miniseries? I think the Fantastic Four versus X-Men one, for my money, is the best one. And it winds up being the best one because of that kind of impressive, incredible trick Chris Claremont is capable of of making an event or something that is outside the norms of his uncanny x-men run really matter and really be deeply still absorbed in the continuity and in the stories he's telling oh you uh because fantastic four vs x-men is very much that i mean it is a continuation of uncanny x-men it follows up specifically on the events of the mutant massacre and some other things that have been going on in the pages of uncanny so we have here kitty pride wait so you is... you really like this what you really like this i didn't say that oh okay good I think they're good. I, so, all right, fine. You want to do the, the broader stance? I think these issues are good. I definitely find them more interesting in retrospect than um, than any sort of like, oh, this is a knockout four-issue oh, well, run. Okay. Well, now it's, it's compelling. I was setting you up for uh, a good old-fashioned Zach prank where you said, yeah, this is great, and I was going to be like... <laughs> no, it's not. And you're going to be like, what? And then I was going to yeah, you, come back you, at you. I think you should call it a good old-fashioned Zach Crank. Yeah. Because that is not a prank. you just being down it's just on the, the lie. That is, that's just the Well, podcast. no, here's the thing is I thought you were going to be real hot about it and I'd pretend not to be. And then I'd be like, just kidding. This is great. Because I love this. This is like. Oh. <laughs> this is. <laughs> okay. Because this is like the redemption episode for me. Like Simonson. I'm back on board with Simonson. Claremont. Uh-huh. I haven't been this like hot on Claremont since like Dark Phoenix Saga. I thought this was great. Like I loved this series. Um, This little mini Loved it. Yeah. Wow. I was way okay. into it. What, I think it what is, did like, you love? Because I, I like this series, but I wouldn't say I love it. Oh, I think like it is a very tight little package. Like it, it while still being, you know, part of the larger thing, right? Like Kitty Pride is recovering from Kitty Pride recovering from the mutant massacre and being intangible and trying to pull herself together is um you know, like literally the the main plot of this, and that's clearly right out of Mutant Massacre. And right. it's so like deeply about both teams. I think the focus is so tight and a this is something I think Claremont sometimes has an issue with right is that like he's pulled in too many directions but like the the focus is really tight on the story here while leaving tons of room for all the characters to breathe all have their own like thematic concerns that all tie together right because the the running thematic thread here is this kind of like uh looking back on your time as a hero if you know you deserve the accolades you're getting the respect you're getting if you are worthy of the title etc so like Mm -hmm. reed richards I don't know how much we're going to get into it, but like Reed Richards' diary gets found and the diary explains that he deliberately (laughs) weakened the spaceship to like create the Fantastic Four, right? And like he was concerned with the rise of supervillains and super threats. So he thought the world needed more superheroes. So he manipulated events so that the Fantastic Four would be created. And that's what's written in the diary. I do like this Reed, uh, R-E-A-D, on R-E-E-D. 
mm-hmm. this read on read. Yeah. Um, in the in the this this gets overdone. I think think throughout Fantastic Four history with creators looking back and being like, yeah, but what about this secret from the original time that you didn't know about? Uh-huh. And it's it's gotten yeah. way overdone. This one is quite good. Um, yeah. because it it does the thing where it casts suspicion and doubt on Reed's motives, uh, of which, if you go back to Fantastic Four number one, obviously where we started, there's a lot of like motive-based uh, doubt you can cast here. Oh, you and know? it totally like, sells it. Are, it's like... like stealing a spaceship, why did they do it? And this is, yeah, Claremont writes in a rationale that is very believable, I think. Yeah, and just totally makes sense for Reed. You'd be like, yeah, yeah, he sucks. Like, this, he would definitely do that, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I kind of liked it. They, I think they leave it a little unclear whether or not he did. He's got this idea of like, you know, did, I don't know. It, it's it's left very vague. Like he subconsciously wrote this as kind of like, uh, like a unconscious want, right? That he did this or they like, try to give him an out. They, they definitely, by and, the end, you know, he, it's, it's kind of that thing of like, we're not actually ready to vilify the leader of the I, Fantastic Four. I kind of the wish they universe. had, I guess. I, I'm a little bummed. Not necessarily. Okay, I guess I'm not bummed out with the, the like postmodern, you know, he both did and didn't at the same time idea. Yeah. The only thing that really bums me out by this is the way that like the Fantastic Four forgive him, because they are furious, rightfully so, and then it, like it gets cleared up with like Reed Richards hugs Franklin once and reads him a book and Sue's like a man who hugs his son could never have done this. <laughs> all is forgiven and it's i mean it literally is that she like watches him yeah, like play with franklin for five minutes and it's just like no sue that's that's the bare minimum he should play with his son sometime um anyway i you know so Magneto's also getting the same thing because you've got the you know he used to be a villain and now he's the hero dr doom is going through a similar arc because he shows up to offer his skills to to heal kitty pride i don't know i think chris claremont just like He's got a focus here. I think that helps so much. And it and this is what I'm talking about with these long run comics. This is part of a longer story. This clearly like will interweave into larger stories and it has, you know, it's got consequences from things we've seen before, but it also feels like a self-contained narrative. Like this is the platonic ideal of what I'm talking about. Um, you know, and it doesn't just feel like here's six storylines and we're just going to check in with each of them. A little bit no, here no, and there. certainly it's. I mean, certainly it's tighter. I mean, it is kind of a mini event. It's a four issue event. I mean, it definitely gives the. There's no reason this you know, couldn't it, be a four it, issue. It kind of makes it under like makes you wish that Chris Claremont had done almost a Marvel Universe event. Um, I guess in a way, we'll maybe we'll kind of get to something that could be considered that. But obviously, like he's so in the X Men universe, um, not that he doesn't get to play with other corners of the Marvel U. But, like, the things he does here with Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom integrated in a story with the X-Men are very good and very compelling. Um, and I think that's a thing we don't necessarily get to see a ton of in his time at Marvel during this era. I, I obviously love the appearance and role Doctor Doom has to play here. Yeah. So he oh, shows great. up, yeah. and it's like, oh, Reed failed trying to save Kitty Pride. Cue somebody, uh, you know, ring my bell. Yep. Now it's my turn. <laughs> Not because I care what happens to her, but because I need to one-up Reed, yep. right? Um, and that's that's great. That's perfect. He's quote unquote helping, but he's doing it for his arrogant doom reasons. Um, and that's awesome. And, you know, and you have Magneto on the X-Men side at this time. So there's a lot of like, well, I guess uh, if we, you know, we have Magneto here. So I guess we can give Doom a chance, even though, of course, he's Doom. There's going to be a turn. You know, it's going to come. There here. isn't really like there isn't here. And that, that's kind of something I love. Well, he like, kind of doesn't he. I could be mixing the because so there was just a X-Men Fantastic Four crossover in the in modern times in 2019, 2020. So I could be mixing up the way this plays out. Doesn't Doom like try to force 
the procedure to go through to the conclusion, even though it seems like it's definitely going to kill Kitty? No, no, he still thinks it's going to work. Other story. The, the, at worst, he kind of has a, like, if I succeed, I'll have one-upped Reed. If I fail, it will have been Reed's fault and I'll win because he's humiliated because he, like, interrupted the procedure. So he succeeds, doesn't he? He does, and it is. It does. They like kind of work together. Yeah, Reed shows up, and like you know, it, there's a lot of uh, you know, out of the mouths of babes thing happening here because Reed shows up, and it's like, wait, Doom, your projections are off, and Doom's like, you dare? And then Franklin's like, please save Kitty's wife, and then everyone yeah. is just like, oh, Franklin. Like I think I think <laughs> Franklin literally does that like we'll at her. least twice here. There's a bunch of adults fighting, and Franklin just says, like, please, no more fighting, and then everyone stops. <laughs> well, and Franklin's, uh, Franklin is Kitty's rock. Yeah. You know, he comes and shows but up, Franklin's and they, great. they form yeah. a little bond. Yeah, I like Franklin here. It starts out, like, with his dream sequence. I don't know. I'm just, like, I was very into everything happening here, except maybe Wolverine. <laughs> Wolverine was written a little, uh, like, an idiot. I mean, I guess that's sometimes the case, but, like... I mean, he shouldn't be the smartest person in a room. He shouldn't. It just was continually, like... Someone would like just sass the X Men, and he's like, "That's it, time to kill you, cutting your heart out of your chest." And people had to like, "Yeah, Wolverine, stop!" Like, uh, oh. I think I think his uber violence gets amplified in any yeah. crossover situation. Yeah, it's a bummer. You know, definitely anytime they're meeting other characters, it's like he he responds to that so there's, quickly. There's a in moment. a way he doesn't necessarily in X Men comics. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, I was interrupting. Um, there's a there's a moment at the beginning of this in Franklin's dream sequence where uh, everyone's dead around him. The X-Men are dead. Sue's dead. And the thing is dead, and his chest is ripped open, and it's just, like, his rocky chest is ripped open to reveal, like, pink flesh inside. Like, there's a pink, hu- fleshy human inside. And it's really disturbing to think that that's what's inside the thing. Like, inside, he's just, like, a lobster meat man. Yeah, I really, right. really didn't like that. Also... Yeah, thing meat is not a visual you necessarily really need. Um, I, I did also forget that She-Hulk does join the team she, again yeah, here. Yeah, she kind of just hangs uh, out. Towards the yeah. end. It's a little... Fl- like, yeah. her reasoning is flimsy, but I just like having her around, so... She shows up. She's around. Yeah. Why not? Um, the, There's a... There's also a really good moment where Sue Storm is furious at Reed. She finds out, like, what he did, or what she thinks he did. And she's by herself, and she's just like, I hate you, Reed! And then she blows, a like, a force bubble away from her, blasting all of her clothes off. Um, which is very relatable to me because that happens to me as well. Like when I get furious, all my clothes. Yeah, when you get when you get mad on the show, like we we do have to pause for a while. Well, I, at a minimum, I have to turn off my video. Yeah, because you, you my clothes just you. go fly, bam, flying it. Well, all right. Well, and I think that's part of the reason you record in a closet is they fly right onto the hangers. <laughs> it's pretty good. Well, I mean, you know how some people like you know it's a bummer. Like people get emotional when they fight, they get angry, and like some people. They, they start crying, right? They start, like, tearing up when they're getting angry, and it's, like, it's frustrating, right? Like, that, that feeling. For me, I get angry, and, you know, I'm having in the middle of a fight, you know, and then I just, boom, naked. But the thing with me so is, I, like, I'm I remember slowly, the methodically turn. taking my clothes off. I just get mad, and I start undressing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's not as it's not as cool as you think it looks. Um, I did remember the turn that Doom has here, which is so Magneto's powers like short out the power on the base, mm-hmm. um, which you know at a crucial moment, of course, when when they're trying to get Kitty tangible again, and uh, Reed then has to do all the calculations by hand. He has to do them by all head, head, yeah. So by head, right? So he's showing off how how smart he is, not because he's showing off but because he has to and doom is like literally like hanging over his shoulder like bet you can't do it 
bitch can't yeah. do it. Reed. And Reed's like one, two, three, and Doom's like four, five, nine, ten. He's like throwing numbers out. You know, yeah. that's that's the turn. Is just him being like, oh, I so badly want you to screw up, Reed, even if it means Kitty will literally fade away to nothing. But but then like he just has them over for dinner, you know, and is like just being like, please try the Latvian caviar. It's the best in the world. Like. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, this is the doom that I like adore, right? Where he's just not like always wanting to kill people. You know, sometimes he's just a gentleman. He plays by his own rules. He's got his own honor. You know, the doom I adore huh. is when in Fantastic Four number three hundred, the next issue, yeah. Johnny Storm and Alicia Masters get married. Which let's all say it now, gross. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Doctor Doom sends a wedding invite that says, or a wedding uh, card that says, "Hey, I'll, I'll call off. I'll call a truce." Until this flower that I've sent the happily married couple will. As long as the, these flowers bloom, our truce will last. Yeah. Yep. It's fantastic. It's a great it's doom like, thing, It's yeah. that nobility that Doom is so good at. While simultaneously, you know, by the end of the issue, the flower's already wilting. Yeah. Of course, meaning, okay, now we're enemies again. It's great. I dig it. That's that's the role Doom should play in all weddings moving forward after uh, casting all villains to hate the Fantastic Four during Fantastic Four Annual number 1 or 3 the wedding of of Reed and Sue. So, do you want to talk about the worst wedding of all time? <laughs> I mean, you know, I <laughs> like the marriage I, I that think, uh, bizarrely never should have happened. Yeah, if you can get over the fact that it's Alicia and Johnny Storm, which is just like, can't do it. Yeah, no, can't I mean, do you it. That's be able that's to. a non-starter right there. If, if you can get over that, I think the issue is actually fine. And I think they do. I, it it might almost. Oh wait, I'm sorry. Before before we get into this, I just have to call out um, John Bogdanov Bogdanov's art. Is that yeah? How you yep. Um. In uh in Fantastic Four versus X Men, because I think that it's like great. I loved his art throughout here, and he's clearly like I think he's playing with Burn, Burn style a lot. Like it's it's very Burn esque, but like I loved I loved the art there. I just want to make sure, give him a call out. Um, yeah, so cranky th- and old and like very homophobic. Uh, Burn esque. Yeah, but in a way that it's just kind of like, oh, I'm just uh, what a man's not allowed to think for himself anymore, like. <laughs> You know, it's not like your yeah. traditional just like right wing, you know, Christian conservative homophobia. It's more just like, uh, yeah, homophobia is, uh, I mean, homo- homosexuality is fine, but like it is caused by starlight, just so everyone knows. So, you know, as long as you stay out of the stars, you won't <laughs> just, be gay. Just like, <laughs> so we're clear. <laughs> Some stupid crap like that. Um, yeah, John Byrne, he sucks. Yeah. Let's uh, let's keep oh, reiterating I that mean, as I... we... I know, no, as I know. we run out of reasons to need to talk about him. Well, I, your, oh, I don't know, life. man. I'm looking forward to She-Hulk. I still like his Man of Steel a lot. I, I think his Man of Steel gets crapped on a lot now, but I'm a big fan of that. Well, and that's we are going to talk. We are going to do Man of Steel, so it's going to be my <laughs> Man of Steel year. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and we're going to do the whole run. And boy, does anyway, that sound fun. so John Buscema, Sal Buscema, Fantastic Four 300, um, written by Roger Stern. I, I think he's playing a little bit with, like, if you know that Fantastic Four annual where Sue and Reed get married. Like, it almost feels oh, like... I mean, that, there's no if about it. It's it's very directly responding it's, to It just that feels like this really subtle little hint that only hardcore fans might pick up on. Like, it's me. A, you, it's a very you-have-to-be-a-true-fan kind of thing. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah, and I know we read that review at the beginning that said we weren't gatekeepy. I, I have to reiterate, love gates. <laughs> love them. <laughs> put them up all the time. And uh, boy, you better be a, a true FF head. What is a to love gate? One. Ooh, baby, pass through the love gate. Pass through the love gate. Um, yeah, it's so got, uh, it, you know, it's yeah, setting it need, up. We like, don't need to explain what that is. Fantastic Four three hundred is, or like the the first wedding where it's like, oh, all the villains are going to attack. And for this case, it's Puppet Master, the Thinker, and the Wizard. 
are going to attack. Well, and when I think of all the big ones, <laughs> those are those are definitely. Well, Puppet the Master is uh, Alicia Master's stepdad, and it's so funny that it's not just her dad; that it's her stepdad. I don't know why that that just. Why is that funny? What about that is funny? I don't know. It's just like it would just as funny it's as if like he was an uncle or something, right? Like I don't know. It, it just feels like uh, no, bucking. <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. I, it's funny in that way that like bucking the traditional like tropes of this, where like the most common thing would just be the like cruel stepdad. That's like that is the trope. I guess that's I guess that's so. I don't know. Something about it's funny to me. What are you talking? I love about? stepdads. Don't get me wrong. Don't. Don't wow, big stepdad yeah. diss thrown out. I didn't know you had these feelings. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Papa Master's her stepdad, and it kind of does this thing where, like, he wants to, to stop the wedding. And at the end, he decides not to, and he just six Dragon Man on the other <laughs> villains, which I loved. Um, that is a, that is the my favorite turn here, is yeah. Puppet Master turns on his own villain team because he's like, nah, Alicia's too happy getting married to, uh, to Johnny here. Yeah. Dragon Man, <laughs> it's up to you. Yeah. And he takes out the other villains. That's pretty great. You know who should have stopped the wedding? Big Ben Grimm. Because <laughs> it's insane. Oh, yeah, it's very insulting. <laughs> Clearly the love of his life is getting married to his, like, almost brother. Yeah. <laughs> you know, his brother friend. Just rude, yeah. Uh, yeah, very rude. It, it, uh, I would say kind of. Th- I think that breaks the bro code. I'll say it. I'll just say it. I think Johnny violated the bro code. I don't know what the other rules are, but marrying the love of your best friend's life seems like uh, kind of kind of a big just one. Just rude, yeah. It's just bizarre that it's happening. Now, I, yeah, like every time I talk about this anything, being so yeah. strange and gross, people are like, oh, yeah, but later, do-do-do-do-do. Um, it, it doesn't matter in the moment. That doesn't matter. Yeah, like This still, still happened still in 87. It, yeah. They still thought this was a good idea. You know, they still thought this was something that made sense for Fantastic Four. And let me tell you, it does not. I mean, even I think it is meant to show maturation for Johnny. Yeah, like, I think it is exclusively well, meant to show, oh, Johnny's becoming his own, you know, very, uh, very modern man. And he's he's growing up. Right. And Alicia just kind of used to get him there to that. It doesn't actually make sense for these characters, though. I don't appreciate it one bit. Yeah, there, there's a conversation in X-Men. Fantastic Four versus X-Men, where when in Latveria, Johnny Storm accidentally severely burns Storm, <laughs> like, really injures her. Yeah. And uh, and he goes back to Alicia and is just like, I don't know if I have what it takes to be a hero. Sometimes I think I'm just a kid. Like, I really hurt somebody. And Alicia's just like, it's not, it's not that you have powers, it's what you do with them. And he's just like, you're right, honey. And then they hug. And it's like, yeah, it's what you do with them. You just burn an innocent person. What are you talking about? <laughs> Like, their their relationship is just, yeah, ugh. Anyway, uh, there's also a good scene with the thing. He goes to a bar, and he's, like, moping. And it's just, it's mostly funny because, like, the whole bar is holding their breath, waiting for him to destroy the place. And you get one really yeah. great panel of everybody, like, exhaling and going, phew, when he walks out and didn't break, destroy the place. So. Besides that... Uh, pretty boring. Yeah. Besides that, happened. it's a it sure is an issue that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an event issue. It's not necessarily a stellar comic. Speaking of potentially stellar comics, though, Captain America three thirty two two three thirty five. We will close out the episode with writing by Mark Grunwald, pencils by Tom Morgan, inks by Bob McLeod, cover by Mike Zek and Klaus Jansen. A good cover. 
Captain America No More. And you know what, Zach? I definitely had to, to screenshot this one. Not only because it's a good cover with Cap and the American flag, like, like bleeding oh, onto, yeah, the, yeah. onto the rest of the page, but Abe Lincoln in the corner Crying. box shedding a tear, <laughs> shedding a tear, which, boy, does that feel appropriate. For the uh, for the current state of, of America as we record this, oh, what do you mean? shortly after the first uh, quote unquote presidential election, uh, <laughs> Abe Lincoln crying feels like a sadly Debate. too apt metaphor. Debate, not the election. Uh, well, some, yeah, no, you're right. I meant debate. Um, so anyway, this is uh, this is the continuation of the Grunewald era. This is where the real meat comes in, and the government, the American government, is basically telling Cap in no short, you know, order. That, uh, hey, we own you conceptually, uh, your costume, your shield, the name, the branding. That's all United States of America property. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Um, you need to come work for us or you can't do that anymore. You can't be Cap. Um, it's cool. You can keep being Cap, but you need to now work specifically for the government, which is a distinction, obviously, that writers have made that we've talked about. Um, that is that is kind of essential to Captain America and gets spelled out very deliberately here by Grunewald and company and by Steve Rogers in the pages where he's saying, like, I am loyal to the dream. I am not just going to be this puppet of the Government current or, political yeah. administrations. Right. right? And that um, that's what this comic deals with. And I think it does so really well. I think it spells out, like, in one issue, kind of everything about, like, okay, what does it mean for this person to be called Captain America, what should their role and relationship with government and, and politics be? I think this issue does a really nice job tackling that, and it sets the stage for some for a good story to come. What did you think about 332? Yeah, I agree. I've been I've been uh, fussing a little bit about Mark Grunewald, like, not being able to, I don't know, put across any kind of, like, mature thinking in, like, his political writing, which is has often been in the stuff we've been reading with this and Squadron Supreme. Um, but I think it's good. I think, well, I think you've mostly been calling out that he doesn't, like, he doesn't nail a conclusive point. He more floats the ideas I, I mean, perfectly maturely, but he does not solidify, like, and here's what I think about that. Not even what, what he thinks about it. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily care what he thinks about it, but, like, Flag Smasher, I don't even really get what his problem you know like i, I don't think there's a, a flags a flush flags are his i don't problem. think there's, <laughs> i don't think there's a fleshed out discussion happening in them i think it feels like um surface or like set dressing a little bit it has felt okay. earlier okay this is not set dressing yeah I and think it's not and i think that, i think like, this is hey, like we're him in. having a conversation and i don't know exactly where he's landing on this right that that's what i'm saying i don't need to know like exactly what his politics are as the writer well i, just I, I know like, where steve rogers is is landing on this though right and yeah. steve rogers is at the end of this saying hey if that's what you need i'm done here's here's I can't a be your question Captain though, america anymore because he always talks about like i'm for the ideals of america and i've been you know i i've kind of like yeah i've accepted that line right but like uh-huh. What does that really mean for Captain America? Like, because he keeps saying that, and he's like, that means you know, justice, the dignity, broad American the pursuit dream, of happiness. Like to specify that, right? Because like his specific version of that is usually fighting violent threats, right? And I just had the thought today of like, for the purposes of like freedom, defending I guess the is how he would say, right? It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's just like I don't know. I think I think there's some there's a conversation there to be had about like the very limited scope of what he does, you know, as, like, defending American ideals, but the only lens that he views that through is violence, right? Like, that there, there's, uh... 
I, I don't know. This isn't a fully formed thought. I just had that like. This is this is a broader. Yeah, it's. A, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think like there's definitely room for story to tackle Cause that. Because it, it's still. I, mean, just I do like think part of that military. is is a right. comics problem. Yeah, of course. Where you right. know, because this is the old. Hey, should Batman use his wealth to to um you know fund like social you know uh, health and and problems in in the city of Gotham and it's like yeah of course and he does <laughs> you know yeah. um like cap but but most of what we see is he breaking the Joker's arm because that's how comics kind of tell their stories <gasps> whoa 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 I think sorry that just cued for me I'm Thor breaking Loki's arm we didn't talk about that oh <laughs> sorry that's a big moment that we have to we just have to mention yeah that's the literal yeah. end I'm sorry we gotta backtrack all the way to that that's the literal end of his run that's the last scene in Simonson's yeah run and it's the Loki has just pulled one too many pranks on Thor, and Thor, you know that like Odin always. And just, he's been and he's been scheming that whole run, right? Right, and like and Loki always just like, all right, go back to your castle. Loki is the punishment that he gets from Odin, and uh, and Thor goes to his castle, and it's just like, hey, uh, you know, I'm not gonna do anything too bad to you, but he just chucks his hammer at him and like breaks his arm, and he's just like, yeah, it's gonna take a while to heal. It's gonna hurt. Sorry, there's consequences. Bye. <laughs> And then he flies yeah. off, and he's like, "Yeah, that felt great." Uh, what a, what an interesting like moment for you know Loki literally just getting decades of getting away with it and having no real consequences for just like trying to kill everyone all the time, and everyone is just like Loki. Right. <laughs> I, right. I, just sorry, I just had to mention that. That was that was such like an interesting yeah. No, moment. It's, it's a good ending, and yeah. it is good. It actually is kind of good to see because that that rings true to me for Thor as a character. Yeah. That he would not just constantly be turning the other cheek. He's not a constant turn the other cheek kind of character. No, <laughs> you know, like he has rage and he has anger, um, and it comes out there. And I think uh, obviously for good reason. Yeah. So okay. all right. So three thirty two is this interesting conversation about what is Captain America? What you know he he serves the American dream. I think to your point there, what does that mean? You know, it's probably bigger but, than this. But, it, but at least with. it doesn't mean just what the government wants, right? Like he he has a settled that is set that of distinction ideas. is made clear, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. And what that then sets up is the next three issues of Captain America are about the next Captain America. They are all about John Walker taking on the role of Captain America. And man, do I love this approach. Yeah. I really love it. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about the story specifically, but like just the idea of, hey, we're going to bring in somebody else. They're going to wear this thing while Captain America is not Cap. That's awesome. <laughs> I like it when comics try this, when they do it. There was that really cool um, 60s issue of Iron Man, where Eddie March takes the armor yeah, for a minute, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Boxer, it doesn't yeah. quite do the same thing, um, but it's that general idea, and it's not a legacy thing, right? This isn't a legacy handoff of like, oh, Sam's the next Captain America, or Bucky, or um, or whoever, you know, like or Sharon Carter, or like people in Cap's life. It's just like, stripped. hey, what if somebody yeah. else entirely, you know? And, and, and so 333, they do blessing, go through the list. the important part. Without his blessing at all, right? Yeah. And so 333, they do go through the list of, like, who could be Cap next? And they, they talk about, so they mention Sam, and they're like, and the, the black man on the council says the world would never accept a black Captain America, which, boy, does that have resonance in uh, in 2020. Yeah, well, yeah we'll see, we'll in, see in if things have changed. Yeah, yeah in, in some ways, right? In some ways for the better, and in some ways still as gross as ever. Um, and they mention Nick Fury. As a as a possibility, which I, <laughs> well, I thought was the most interesting, because somebody's basically just like, nah, not that old guy. Well, also just like, <laughs> yeah, maybe he'll want to hang up his hat as the the leader of a spy agency and be our soldier, which is very strange. Yeah. Um. Also, the well, you could have Cap as leader. Of they Shield, talk about how they don't want anyone kind of to cool, know that they swapped out Captain America's right. That they're gonna like, it, there's gonna be a continuity of service here, right? So it's like 
you know, they're not going to reveal that it's a new Captain America. So, like, Sam and Nick Fury are both kind of weird. I mean, Sam because he's black, and Nick Fury because he has one eye. <laughs> um, both, uh, both. Well, so is John Walker in the sense that he's a lot beefier than Steve Yeah, that's Rogers. a little easier to sell, I think. <laughs> he is a big beef boy. And uh, so he got his, John Walker got, he was, a, he's super patriot, okay? So we have seen him before. Uh, he's super patriot. He's, the early going is very much just like in it for the fame and kind of the, he, he's very critical of Captain America, but mostly like for attention, yeah. right? He's kind of calling out like, your time is done, my time's next. Oh, everybody get into super patriot. It's kind of that superhero as <laughs> Everybody celebrity. get into super patriot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, and <laughs> exactly. I didn't like But him, here like, he, he actually no. comes into a more nuanced role way, in the way sense that he's nuanced, like like yeah. the idea of being captain america actually has weight and significance to him as a person right, it, right it's, over the course of these issues i mean he he because the thing i didn't like about him before was just he was a cynical celebrity right that was like all he was and there was nothing there's no ideology behind him there's nothing besides which we've like, seen a fair amount of right yeah and it's, i don't know that's not that interesting to me just like a minute for the cash i don't know it's kind of boring um unless you do something interesting with it like Booster Gold, actually. No, it can be a good story, yeah, bo- I mean, a la Boost- The Boys on Amazon Prime. Booster but that, Gold I think crazy. the version of it that is harder in Captain America specifically is, like, we're dealing with literally, like, how should this American representative represent the nation? And if you're going to have that conversation, it's a lot more interesting if John Walker, Super Patriot, is a counter to Steve Rogers' ideologies yep. instead of just being Maybe not on, even a counter, know, just not as, like... The, the thing is, he just has it in his mind that, like... He feels like somebody who doesn't have, who has a very, like, um, what's the idea I'm thinking of? Like, he has a very obvious idea of what it means to be a patriot, right? He has a, it, I don't even think it's that, like, particularly firm of an idea. He's got kind of an, a conservative, maybe slightly nationalistic idea, but, like, he feels conflicted about it. That's I think that's why this works, too, because, like, I don't know, there, there's something about John Walker that you're, like, rooting for him? Like... Yeah, no, this, the enti- these issues, you do start to feel that because he, he's not Nuke, right? He's not because they talk about like other super soldier projects yeah. and they reference Nuke where it's just like clearly supposed to be almost parody, you know, almost satire of someone gone way too far right. on the, I guess, like right wing, you know, like we have to be at war kind of like warmongering scale. And John Walker's <laughs> not that he does kind of question things, right? He does sort of question like. The approach of making him cap and, and some of the decisions. And, and it keeps the coming back to him, and, like, why would Captain America walk away? I don't get it. Like, why yeah. would he walk away? He keeps like that. It's stuck in his head, and it's really bothering him. And yeah, I don't know. I think Mark Grunewald does a great job of like making it seem like like I want John Walker to figure it out. You know, like through the whole thing, I'm just right, like, you're, right. he's not a monster. But you know, at the same time, like he's sent in to infiltrate this group of people called like the Watchdogs, and they're this. Mm-hmm. F- very conservative, you know, it's like Reagan-esque politics, Christian conservative politics taken to an extreme. They're burning abortion clinics. They're slaughtering uh, people who own sex shops. They're burning down libraries. Their, their mantra like... is is very much like we need to weed out all immorality. Right. We need yeah. to weed out all, you know, impure thinking. And we're going to do that with extreme violence. Right. And, and they're operating, I think, in the Southwest. Yeah, in Alabama, I think, where John Walker's from. And John Walker is just like... Is Alabama the Southwest? South? No, it's not the Southwest. It's the South. <laughs> I wouldn't consider it that. You said Southwest. I didn't say Southwest. I thought it was in the Southwest, yeah. but you're saying it's in Alabama. Yeah. So, I, so it's yeah, not yeah. the Southwest. Uh, and and the thing is, John keeps saying like, I agree with them though, but like you know, he's he's having these conflicting yeah, yeah. thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Well, because because the, what they're the way they're framing their points is like, 
hey, we need to stop all this, you know, cussing and um, um, <laughs> you well, know, he, and all this porn like, in, in schools and stuff. And John's like, yeah, I kind of agree with that. And he's like, yeah, well, those are things I stand up for, but I guess I have to fight it now. This is so confusing. So it, there's just enough, like, wiggle room here. And, and there's also just a little bit of, like, he he's in above his head. You feel like he's being manipulated. And it, it makes me at least feel like some sympathy for the guy to want to, like, you know, you, you want him to figure it out. You want him to grow. You kind of, like, I'm just... Well, I think I think the best way they sell this is in 335 when he infiltrates the watchdogs, his partner Bucky, who is a black man. So his he has the Buckies <laughs> oh are his super patriot like pals. So and one of them actually becomes his Bucky as a government agent here and it is a black man. Um his name is Lamar Hoskins and he uh gets captured by this watchdogs group and they're literally going to lynch him. Like in this yeah. group. So we, we go from, that's the thing too, is like, okay, the watchdogs, he's like, oh, maybe they, they kind of have some points. We've seen them now shoot a porn shop owner, like just cold side blood, up, like yeah. just for owning the, yeah, in cold blood. And now we see them about to lynch a black man for being black. I mean, I don't think there's any other rationale behind well, it's it. Well, because really. he was like, they, they said it. Not that it, there needs to be. No, it was like a sting. It was like a sting operation where he was, um, Pretending to be like a, uh, you know, a photographer. Oh, yeah, he's pretending to to solicit women. Yeah. Right? Or to, to interview women to set them up for, in, like, porn or something. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, so yeah. it does fit their MO. Maybe it's less racially motivated, but it's either still, way, they're about to lynch a black man. Yeah. That's pretty ra- yeah. racially coded. Yes, totally. Um, uh, and, it, and John is seeing this happen, and he's like, all right, I'm infiltrating this group. If I let them do this, my partner might be okay. Because he's got kind of powers like I do, and you know, yeah, he's drugged, but he might actually escape. Um, but I can't just watch him die. But then at the same time, I'll blow my cover. So he's like, "Am I being tested?" And he's clearly just wrestling, and being in over his head the way you're describing in a way that is, um, it's it's very understandable, I suppose. Yeah. Right. It's not super cut and dry. What the what the decision needs to be. Yeah, and he's he's, um, he's for example not a monster, which is just like the the part of this when yes. we started this, he was kind of just a monster. Where it's just like an old lady's being mugged, and he's just like, "Eh, who cares? The cameras aren't on me." That's not this guy. I think like he's he's just they've changed his character for the better. Um, so I'm interested in this guy. I I have to point out, Bucky's is not just a reference to Bucky. It stands for Bold Urban Commandos. <laughs> That's which is awesome. Such a good, which is awesome. Such a good touch. Yeah, yeah, modernize that. No, I do think there's. I think in the Grunwald era, in these issues specifically, like there's an intensity and a focus to these that I think really works. I remember reading this the first time and 335 especially where like, you know, you get to that moment when you realize what the watchdogs are about to do to Bucky and it's like, holy crap, like they're putting this in a comic. They're putting this in a Captain America comic, you know, like that's actually quite intense for, for what this book has been. Um, and it's, uh, it's, you know, again, like it's, it's managed pretty well. It's focused and it's an, it's a very interesting story. And again, this is all without Steve Rogers, like being present. Yep. In this, in for three issues, which again for three months in Marvel, that's huge. <laughs> yeah, that's the interesting. <laughs> that's thing a is, big deal. Yeah, Captain America just vanishes from this. Very, very. Yeah, cool. I mean, it's a big deal. It happens anytime in comics now, right? Like yeah. if somebody else takes on the mantle, that gets a huge fan reaction every time. It always becomes controversial, and generally, it makes certain groups of people really angry. So I'm sure this did the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, these issues, though, looking back with the with the privilege of 2020 very good <laughs> like these are these are kicking off a, a pretty remarkable run that yep. Grunwald starts yep I'm uh I, I want to go back we skipped a lot so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to go back and read those because I, I, I quite like this um yeah I think if you're if you're interested in this era specifically I think it's 332 through like 350 is kind of all one mega story um so I would recommend you check that out if these issues grab your attention yep. 
Yeah, very good. All right, that's going to do it for 87 part three. Uh, Next time, we've got all X-Men all the time. we got some new mutants, Uncanny X-Men, X-Factor, and some classic X-Men backups we'll be reading. You can find all those issues in the show notes for this episode. Oh, we also have a Patreon backer issue. Uh, that we'll be reading. If you are a uh, a patron supporter at a certain tier level, at patreon.com slash year, you can actually recommend a comic that will get added to the list and we will discuss. And everyone else in the club will have to read um, or get to read, depending on how you <laughs> want to approach that. No, we forced them at gunpoint. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so thanks, everybody, for supporting us over on patreon.com slash year. Again, if you can consider rating and reviewing, that would be excellent Dave, as well. 1987. We've had three episodes so far out of four. Yeah. And, like, the absolute lowest I've been has been like, yeah, this was okay. That's the lowest I've been on 1987. Mostly, this is pretty good. That is where I've been for most of 1987. It feels good. Glad to be happy. You think we're going to pull it off? Four out of four? Yeah, I wouldn't have thought, Um, I actually wouldn't have necessarily thought of 87 as, like, a particularly notable year. This, but you're right. This might like, have it's been a pretty one of my, solid my level of yeah. consistency like, here. I think um, I there was suspect some... you'll be grumpy about X Men because you typically are. But I don't you know. know. Claremont, you'll, Claremont you'll has like I'm I'm back on this uh, Claremont kick, so maybe maybe I'll get back into it. I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm optimistic. Well, he is he is waiting with bated breath. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 oh, I email him out. every week to tell him what I thought of his comics. I'm sure he loves it. You know, I did email Jim Starlin last week oh, for the first time. My God. In my life, I, I emailed Jim Starlin, Jim Starlin at gmail.com, which is the email he has listed on his Facebook page. And you'll never, you're not going to believe this, but our close correspondence, I got, I got bounced. I got rejected. I got a, this, this inbox is too full mm. quota. Mm. And I'm, I am shocked to learn that I do not have direct correspondence with one Jim Starlin. Bummer. Shocked and disappointed. Yeah. But uh, if you too are shocked and disappointed that we're still going, we will be back with 87 part four. Uh, next week, I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com. He's Zach. You can find him online at My Marvelous Year. Music for the show is by Disaster Peace, and comics for the show are produced by Marvel Comics. What a weird, what a weird thing to say. <laughs> Ninety-five seem issues pretty, into this. seem pretty normal. Seem pretty regular. Just how I sign off the show. Uh, yeah. Anything Never else? Never said that before. Ninety-five episodes. I say it every show. episode. Get out of here. <laughs> okay. Nope. Uh, that's all. So thank you very much for listening. Okay. Is that how you want to sign off? Well, you say see you next year. Why is this getting harder and harder? uh, You said it like you had a new thing. Nope. Like you said it like, oh, that's the ending now. Just really felt like a power move. Every time it's getting harder. This is just getting harder. See you next year. (laughs) This is is just getting harder, this whole show. (laughs) 